$175.2 billion is the size of the New York State budget for fiscal year 2020 proposed by Governor Andrew Cuomo this week. The budget is one of the largest governmental budgets in the world, and it's poised to grow 4% over this year's budget for fiscal year 19. There's a lot to unpack in this budget. The governor has included proposals for everything from congestion pricing to recreational marijuana and sports gambling legalization. Of particular note are significant spending increases on priorities such as education that are backed by a five-year extension of the income tax surcharge on millionaires. Welcome to What's the Data Point from Citizens Budget Commission and Gotham Gazette. I'm Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. I'm Maria Dulles from the CBC. And we're back here in 2019 for our first episode of the year, season three of What's the Data Point here. We've, we've been having a lot of fun. There have been some great episodes over the first two seasons. Uh, we started this a while back, hoping to get deep into issues of public policy in New York, and we've done that. We thank you for listening. We hope you encourage others to listen. If you missed anything in 2018 or even before, you can find the full archive wherever you get your podcasts or, of course, at the CBC or Gotham Gazette websites. There is so much to discuss here already in 2019, starting with this new state budget that the governor has outlined. But there's going to be a lot more to come, and we're excited to have those conversations, and we're excited for the first one here today. And today's guest is Andrew Rain the newly appointed president of the Citizens Budget Commission. Welcome back to the podcast, now in your new role. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> uh, you know, I've been a fan for the last few seasons. <laughs> yes, I'm very excited for so. this season. I hope so. Um, so you're one of our very few uh, return guests. Um, before we dig into the governor's budget proposal, say a little bit about your taking over here. You've taken over here as president of CBC. Just a little bit about who you are and, and your background that brought you to this moment. What brought me to this moment? I think that's a great question. My first job out of grad school was as a research associate at the Citizens Budget Commission. One of my professors knew someone here, called me up, and every, like everyone getting out of grad school, you need a job, and this was a good one. Um, I, I stayed here for five and a half years, and that was a wonderful time, and I kind of got the uh, government watchdog bug, and for the last, you know, 20, 25 years since then, I've been trying to figure out how to manage public and social resources to the, maximize the value to the public in various ways. I was, at the, I was in government and education. I was executive deputy commissioner of the uh, health department. I was at CDC. And I came back to New York after being in Washington and Atlanta from, at CDC to try to figure out how we could actually work in the health system and get hospitals to run right and, and insurance companies to run right. But I came back as a uh, consultant first for the last year, doing some great work with the staff and, and was fortunate enough to be selected by the trustees to be uh, uh, Carol Kellerman's successor. And those are big shoes to fill. Absolutely. And we obviously want to uh, give a what's the data point shout out of sorts to Carol, who, uh, who we know is listening and uh, who has a little more time on her hands to listen. And obviously for all of her um, incredible work at CBC and elsewhere. And uh, who knows, maybe we'll get her back on the podcast someday to share some of her newfound expertise, uh, whatever she's digging into. Well, I'm sure you should definitely have her back. She'll have great things to say. There's nothing like the freedom to talk. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, okay. So we're going to be obviously interested in a lot of different things that you are digging into at CBC in the years to come. But first and foremost, here in 2019, 
this state budget plan put forward by Governor Cuomo outlines $175.2 billion in spending, as Maria said. Before I ask for the initial CBC take, and then we'll dig into the details, you know, we should tell folks that the governor puts out this executive budget proposal. It has a lot of power in terms of where things go, but it is not a final budget by any means. The final budget has to be agreed upon between the governor and the legislature should be agreed upon by April 1st, the new start of the fiscal year. And we've seen under Governor Cuomo just about every year it makes that deadline, sometimes a few hours, a couple of day or so after. But um, he's been pretty good about getting those through, even if, you know, they're um, sort of the deals are coming together at the very last minute. But this is a, a proposal. This is an outline. This is his executive budget. But a lot of it will be um, sort of the shape of the, of the final deal that comes together. So... CBC's initial take, you put out a statement. I've seen you both doing some media appearances. Um, what's the sort of general CBC take here on the governor's budget plan? Well, there are a lot of policy priorities in Albany these days, and the governor certainly addressed some of these in a prudent fashion. Anybody who takes the subway every day like I do knows that w w some resources seem to be necessary and some management improvements in, in, in the transit authority. Any proposes to put congestion pricing as one of those resource sources in the budget, and that was a smart thing to do. As expected, he um, proposed the um, uh, legalization of adult-use recreational marijuana and was prudent about recognizing those revenues. Certain jurisdictions have, have enacted marijuana legalization think they're getting revenues in the first year, and they've been burned when they've done that. And he put those revenues off, ramping up starting in the second and third year. So that was a smart thing to do. The flip side is we are in the longest recovery in maybe everyone in this room's lifetimes put together. And so this is the time. If you look at the length of that recovery, if you look at the stock market, you look at what's happening on the trade horizons, and frankly, you look at some actions in Washington that can make people nervous about what's going to happen to state and local budgets, you think you have to be prudent for a rainy day. He put a little money into reserves, but we have now $2.3 billion if this proposal goes forward in reserves. And the last three recessions, our revenue trough has been $20 billion. We are really underfunding um, what we would need to prepare for that kind of rainy day. So I'll just pause you there and just underscore that point. If this goes through, there would be $2.3 billion in the rainy day fund matched against a budget of 175-ish billion dollars, that percentage is, is just not up to standards. It's minimal. And, you know, the other part of this is that there's some money, you know, there's always a little money here and there, right? And we've had about $12 billion in financial settlements that have come passed through the state budget, one-time financial settlements in the last couple of years. Um, so some of that money has been appropriated, hasn't been allocated. It's sort of there if you need to, in case of emergency, break open glass, right? But even if you combine all of that together, it's still not enough to contend with what would happen in a recession, particularly because the state has a really progressive income tax, which everyone is proud of, but that same progressivity makes it extremely volatile. So when an economic downturn or a recession happens, um, the decreases to revenue come very fast and furious. The, uh, the millionaires make up six-tenths of 1% of New York tax filers, yet they provide $20 billion of our tax revenue. One out of every $5 for state operations spending come from those people. So to keep that tax rate that high on those, those people who are also the hardest hit by the state, by the federal tax reform, SALT cap, 
is a very risky proposition. So let's talk about that a little bit more. So, so what you're getting at is one, and I wasn't necessarily surprised to see this in the statement you put out, but it, it piqued my interest certainly because I had almost thought of it as a given that the state would extend the, this millionaire's tax that's been in place. It's due to expire. There were some questions about whether the governor was going to endorse it expiring or renewing. He came out earlier and said it needed to be extended, and then that is indeed in his budget plan. Um, you are saying he should not have done that. He should have let the rate fall back down because we as a state should be worried about potential out-migration of the highest earners. Is that correct? Yes, I think there are two elements. We should worry about the out-migration because that um, lessens the tax base, and we need those money for services that New Yorkers need. The other is this surcharge came about during the last recession. While not necessarily the best way to deal with the recession, tax increases, temporary tax increases are often ways that governments look to, and New York State in the last two recessions has looked to solve some of the budget problems. So whether it's 2001 or the Great Recession eight years ago, um, the state has had a temporary uh, millionaire's uh, tax surcharge. The challenge is you, um, to, if you keep it going in the good times, you use it to build spending, and then the next time you have a recession, you can't go to that well because it's already tapped. Right. It's almost as if to combine these last couple big thoughts, if you're going to keep it in place, maybe use it to build up those reserves in the good times. But I mean, you know, right. we don't need to get or, into all those scenarios, but that that might make more sense. That's absolutely right. Or, you know, it's not necessarily an either or. Or you extend, but at a much, you know, not so much of a greater rate, right? You don't need to do the full 8.82, um, whereas it would drop down to just under 7%. Interesting. So there's a middle ground there. But the governor, despite the fact that he has railed against the salt cap in federal tax reform, is, you know, opting to not do anything about it with respect to this. He's, he seems to be indicating that the middle class is more of a concern than the upper earners. And so he's proposing not only to keep the millionaire's tax in place for five years, but also a, a fairly modest but but a, but a tax cut for middle class earners. Bad yeah. choice? Re- reasonable choice, and it's already in law, and he's, and he's saying that that should continue. To move it forward, right. right. And, that had been passed a couple should, years ago. That right. should um, go forward, and that, that's a reasonable choice. It's the millionaire's tax extension that gives him $4.5 billion in the future years to um, to increase spending over that time. So let's talk a little bit about why he needs that money, right? Yes. So the flip side. Well, be- b- b- before going to those specifics, I wanted to come back to something you said in the data point, which is that this budget looks like an increase of about 4% over the current year's budget, but he's up there at on his podium, uh, literal podium, at the, mm-hmm. at the presentation saying he's again staying within... A 2% increase. So CBC has called him out on this before. So here's where we get into the numbers. (laughs) Fun part for all the nerds out there. Um, So the 4% increase is on the total budget. That's all the state sources of funding, taxes, fees, whatever have you, and the federal funding. So it's the full pot. When the governor uh, talks about increasing the budget by 2%, he's talking about just state operating funds. Ah. Um, nevertheless, 2% is not spot on. Um, we have crunched the numbers here. Shout out to Dave, who's been on the podcast before. He's our man in Albany, and he's finding that the, the growth is actually around 3%. So it's 3% spending, not the 2% the governor claims. So the governor says 2, all funds is 4, state is actually 3. That's this right. is why we need CBC. We're going to say something no, on I, that? I, I think that's right, but it's not throughout the budget. He's, he's mm-hmm. talking about increasing education aid by 3.6%, 
um, Medicaid by 3.6%. May not may not seem so high, but it's certainly not sustainable given our revenue given our revenue base, and certainly not what we need to do when we should be putting money aside for a rainy day. And in fact, that education aid, 3.6%, is less than other advocates in local school districts okay. are calling for. So there is upward pressure, and that that is something we really have to look for as the negotiations um, proceed. So the governor's budget presentation, when he got into the numbers, he basically said there's three big buckets of spending that need to be looked at. You already hit on two of them, education and health care. The third one, transit. Let's let's get back to transit in a couple minutes, but let's talk about the education, the health care a little bit more. He's projecting increases, as you said, 3.6% on both fronts. He said it was a little bit strange how education has kept growing more quickly than healthcare. So he wants to even it out. I'm not sure that many people really compare the two, but yeah, I think for him, it was a rhetorical advice to suggest why there would be a relatively low and I'm using air quotes on that increase in education compared to what the advocates are calling for. But you know, here's a topic where it really bears drilling down, right? We already spend twice as much than the national average per pupil on education and under governor Cuomo Spending in New York on education has grown 50% faster than the national average, right? So we have been bumping that up in the budget year after year after year. Um, And, you know, the sense from the advocates is, well, it's not enough. And CBC has sort of come into the formula, looked at the numbers and said, well, there's a lot there. And what, what the problem is, is about reallocating from the wealthy districts who have more than enough resources to pay for that themselves towards those that have higher needs. And specifically, we're talking about reallocating those state dollars. The state aid has increased 42% over the last 10 years, including 30% to the wealthiest districts. If we're going to fund a sound basic education for all the districts around, around the state, we need to use that state aid to do that, therefore allocate it properly. And in fact, we could fund a sound basic education with just a, a modest, even smaller than the governor proposed, a modest increase in spending if we were willing to reallocate it towards those districts that are most needy. And, and that's know, when you get into lots of political considerations that we don't need to go into now That for re- reasons that he might not want to do that. But he is talking about a change to the education formula that, again, is setting up for some real negotiation and probably a very interesting, important conversation that needs to happen. We'll see if it happens in the right way. But this would seem like a good time for what CBC is proposing to then merge with some of the conversation that he's pushing. Well, the issue is, you know, he's sort of diverting, I think, a little bit by saying, well, it's really about what happens inside these districts. And he's saying that even the poorer districts are not allocating within the poorer districts right. the money to the right schools, the poorer schools within the poorer districts. Right. That's so, his argument. So one question one should raise, and we haven't looked at it, so I don't want to speak too confidently, but really what is the difference in the poor district between a more well-off school and a poor school in a poor district, right, or in a wealthy district? So that's one. Two, a lot of that is driven by seniority of teachers and teacher salaries, which work on a, on a salary schedule that increases with Seniority, right? And experience. Um, So there are other factors there, but I think that whole conversation, while there are some legitimate questions, really just diverts from the larger issue because it is the state's responsibility to ensure that these school districts have the resources to provide a sound education and to target the money in the best way possible to ensure that happens. Right. He's going to insist that some of these districts start spreading the money around differently, but you're saying, wait, we need to go, we need to zoom out first and talk about what's going to the districts to begin with. Right. There is there might be a within district issue, but certainly the 
fundamental issue is among is between the districts among the districts. The state still provides roughly four thousand dollars or a little over four thousand dollars per pupil to the wealthiest districts. Are they the ones that really need the money? Yeah, and you know we should zoom out even further, right? The conversation seems entirely focused on the funding, and we've forgotten to talk about results mm. and accountability. And so if you look at the NAEP scores, New York's scores on the nation's report card, which kind of standardizes between states and states have their own kind of uh, testing standards, um, what you see is our performance on that test in New York State has decreased relative to other states over time. So that suggests we're becoming less competitive, not more, despite spending at an accelerated rate um, over the last, you know, eight or 10 years. That's really troubling, right? And so we don't see any effort to kind of get back to accountability systems that are strong to ensure we can move the needle on that because clearly just throwing money at the problem is not having the effect that one would like. And we're having this discussion as a somewhat parallel discussion is happening where they're reinventing teacher evaluations. Again, you talk about you know accountability. That was all part of this discussion. And I'm not advocating one system or another here. I'm just saying that Lots of stuff has sort of been thrown up in the air at the same time. And we're talking about, um, again, as you said, accelerated spending without a real discussion about results and effectiveness and with a needed discussion about targeting the money better, not just accelerating the spending and talking about within district. Um, and that was a very interesting point about teacher seniority, because you often know that at schools with fewer resources in poorer communities... A lot of times it's the newer teachers. There's a lot of turnover. So that could be that could be the difference right there. <laughs> that's that's interesting. It'll be good to, to look at that. Um, anything else on education aid that we should touch on before we move on? We'll keep on looking into it. And yes, we'll keep this, this is all conversation fresh. going. Right. But it is in striking contrast, right? Because um, unlike, say, New York City, the governor has frozen agency appropriations now almost since the beginning of the time he's been in office. So agencies have been flat, but right. education has really been on this steep up incline. Right. Education and healthcare are growing rapidly. Um, and a lot of other state spending is, is pretty flat. And there's also now some controversy over decreasing the funding that the state is sending to localities. We'll have to get into that another time. Um, so sh let's jump to this third bucket of, of transit. Uh, the governor, as you said, Andrew, is really behind moving ahead with congestion pricing, but I'm not sure we have still a full sense of what he really wants. On congestion pricing, we have somewhat of a sense. I think the force of, of his proposal and his desire will help move that debate along. I think that's right. There are significant both operating and capital gaps in, the in MTA's budget, and so you need that as one component. He is also correct that it will not fill the whole gap, right. and not more needs to happen. So more needs to happen on the operating side, on the spending so side, reducing those costs. More needs to happen focusing the capital program more on state of good repair than expansion. But then we get to his other proposal, which is if there's more of a gap even beyond what he's proposed with congestion pricing, splitting it between the state and the city. We actually think that riders of these systems should pay around half, half of the cost, and broad-based taxes like congestion pricing sh should pay, the, pay the, um, a, a quarter of these. So he's, he's on to a, a track here, but you need broad-based taxes and not necessarily a pocket of the city and a pocket of the state. 
the state is not a person and the city is not a person. In fact, most taxpayers pay different taxes at different places. So you have to look at the fact that state taxes are paid almost 50% by city taxpayers. The regional MTA tax is paid 74% by city taxpayers. So it's really a more complicated system. So set up a tax system broadly regionally that can support the MTA. That's very right. That, and that's, a, that's an area where CBC has come back to, the mayor, others have pointed out that, hold on, when you're talking about state funds that are going into things, a lot of that's already coming from the city. When you talk about MTA funding, there's a lot of, you know, the riders are already paying a very big share. So then to go back to the city coffers raises some serious questions. So I'll correct you on that. Oh. The riders are not paying a big, you know, what's known as the fare box recovery very yeah. ratio, very low, say, for Long Island Railroad, very low for Metro North compared to other systems, better for New York City Transit, right? right? So, you know, users may be grumbling about their fare, you know, predictable fare increases in another 4%, and yet, really, what they're paying relative to the costs of the system is low. It's making me think about the mayor's ferry program, but we can't get into that now. We'll have a whole discussion on that. Yeah. Um, so congestion pricing, he estimated to that the revenue would be something like the revenue would support the bonding out of, of support resource of $15 billion for the okay. capital and, program. And, we've, and I believe that's over 10 years or do we, do we have a sense of his timing on that? He left, he left some details, certainly vague. He left details vague. When you think about that, you think about bonding out a revenue stream. So uh, the money is is a lot earlier than the revenue stream because right. you're paying using the revenue stream to pay that debt service. So I'm not sure on the timing. We still need to right. get into those details. I, I think the estimate from advocates is it raises between a billion and a billion and a half annually. A year. So if it's 15, to, right, that would be right. about 10 years maybe. And then you bond. Okay. So so we'll, we'll, we'll yeah. look at that moving forward. But that is part of the question here is really what is the exact system that the governor wants to implement? He has not, he has still not outlined all the details. Fine. Legislature is going to come in. They're probably going to hold some hearings actually on MTA related matters. Going to be a very interesting um, discussion on exactly what congestion pricing looks like. I heard Andrew Stewart Cousins, the new majority leader of the state Senate, say on the radio the other day, she's hearing a lot of concerns about everybody paying the same congestion price. There could be some, you know, and that's something the mayor has raised about hardship. Um, so there might be some some tricky discussions around what the tolls are and where they are and, and all that. And, and I mean, that's a legitimate discussion yeah. to have, right? And it's not a deal breaker. And making reasonable adjustments shouldn't preclude the plan from being enacted. And But the challenge is when we get into the debate where no one likes any component and then everyone throws up their hands, complains that we have an underfunded subway and no one wants to come together with the solutions. The state needs, the MTA needs real solutions and the governor's proposed a component of that and that should be supported. Right. And then we get into the other conversation about what to do about the rest of the shortfall uh, in, in any capital needs that the MTA, especially the, the subway system needs. And that's where you get into the next MTA capital plan and you have the sort of state budget year and the city budget year and the MTA plan all coinciding. Um, we'll, we've discussed that on, on prior episodes here and we'll dig into that uh, in the future. What else should we be looking at here in terms of next steps, anything we want more detail on? Um, are, there, are there other things that you forecast to be conflict area as we move forward. Um, you know, the governor just put this plan out. There's 
hundreds of pages of both policy book and budget book to go through. Other thoughts, you know, before we wrap up? I think we should watch as the negotiations proceed in terms of what happens with spending, especially education, what happens with reserves, because they usually go in an inverse manner. And that will be the challenge. We also need to delve more into the economic development spending. He's talked a little more about some sunshine and transparency there, but we've certainly spent a lot of money without lackluster results and little transparency. He's proposed some moves forward, and that'll be good. We'll see. We need to really nail that down going forward. I'm glad you brought that up because we've had Comptroller DiNapoli on this podcast multiple times. We've talked to him about this database of deals, about you know showing more results in terms of uh, where the economic development spending is going and, and jobs it is or is not creating. And so, as you said, Andrew, there he announced this agreement with the Comptroller and a plan for Empire State Development to also put publish a database of deals, it doesn't seem like they're talking about necessarily doing that statutorily, and some folks say it should definitely be done that way, but very interesting and a little bit surprising, and we'll have to, we'll have to follow up on that. Yeah, it was unexpected, um, and it's very tempting to sort of say mission accomplished here, mm-hmm. but I, I don't think, I think there's more, there is more to be done. Um, and my fear on the economic development actually is that a lot of the new proposals that the governor has has floated in this budget won't get the scrutiny they deserve by the legislature because they'll be consumed by the Amazon deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that will get a lot of the attention. Um, Something I don't believe the governor mentioned once in his speech. No, and yet there may be some money set aside for that as an mm-hmm. earmark. So that, that's definitely something to look at going forward. And then, the you know, it's not just congestion pricing, but everything, as you said, that happens with the funding of the MTA capital plan, which will be very contentious in the next few months. And bef- before you say another thought, Andrew, you guys also said – Generally speaking, it looks like about $100 million in proposed cost shifts from the state to New York City. This is an annual tradition where the governor is outlining you know, some ways to sort of shift some costs programmatically. Sometimes it's 10 or $20 million there and 10 or $20 million elsewhere. So that's something for folks to know about and, and keep in mind as, as we look into the details there. Yeah, and I, wouldn't, and I would put in that same kind of bucket the, the attempted uh, – um, cost shift of having the city fund whatever gap is in the MTA, right, right. and that's an unquantified number. And I, I will just lastly raise a number of environmental proposals, and we haven't gotten them here, maybe time in a future podcast. Um, this is a really important area for the governor, um, really important area for the state. The question is, do you have the right targets, the right plans? Are they achievable? And, and what are the impacts on the economy and the ratepayers as we move towards more environmentally friendly state? I think that's a discussion that will be had and needs to be had. Right. And that's getting to this concept of a Green New Deal. Everybody's got their own definition of what that should be. But the governor is talking about moving forward with some environmental goals while also investing in green jobs and would love to do an episode on that sometime. I wanted to actually come back to marijuana for a minute because we, we actually briefly discussed that. But just let's just take another 30 seconds to wrap up here. Um, talk about, you know, a topic that's going to grab a lot of attention, a lot of headlines already is and may distract somewhat from some of the other discussions that need to be had. But still important. You mentioned early on, Andrew, that this is actually something you like the budgetary design of what the governor outlined um, you, you at CBC have been urging him to be conservative on this, and, and he was fairly conservative. No, I, I think he was fairly conservative. We'll see how the 
um, debate goes forward. And that, but that was right on from a fiscal point of view. There'll be more of the debate than that, but I think he was right on the way he approached and it. And that's doing no expected revenue in this coming budget and then sort of a ramp up to three. what he's saying is $300 million annually in, in revenue. And with that ramp up, you can test along the way to see right. if you're on track rather than expecting something um, tomorrow and realizing it doesn't come through and being in trouble. Right, and that's the right way to do it because there are, one, the logistics of getting set up to do this, um, and two, other states have had the experience where their assumptions really just didn't pan out for several reasons. So he's got the right approach there, similar also to sports gambling, which will be legalized in upstate casinos. Very limited approach, absolutely the right way to do it. Go slow. Right, at this point it makes sense to be very cautious with those projections and then you need to reestimate. You do. Right. If things wind up coming in bigger than you expect, better. Right. And so. like we said, you know, $300 million for marijuana revenues is not a real game changer in a budget of $175 billion. Um, so a lot of people are eager because they see a new revenue stream to get this and grab it for their pet causes. But really, it should go into the general fund and be part of the state's revenue mix. All right, let's leave it there. There's uh, we, we hit a lot of broad strokes and some big topics. There's certainly other things that we didn't get to, but um, we will dig back in in future episodes. And obviously, folks can find more information at the CBC website and at Gotham Gazette. We've published a couple articles already on the governor's state of the state and budget, and we've got some other stuff coming up. Thank you for listening. And Andrew, thank you for joining us. And congratulations again. And stay tuned for future episodes coming up soon. Thanks all. Thank you.